Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Dangerous Rhetoric. This is episode 73. I'm Brentley. I'm Dan. What's up? And before we get into it today, we have a wonderful guest to talk all about Portland and Antifa, uh, which is a subject that I've been wanting to talk about on the show for a long time, but we really just, it hasn't, it hasn't come up. We haven't had the perfect guest. Uh, so please like, subscribe, comment, uh, share the show with just one friend. It really helps us out. If you want to make a financial contribution to the show, there are links in the description. We take Cash App, PayPal, Venmo, and crypto. If you need a crypto address, just you know, send me an DM. Give us your money. Give us your money. <laughs> Today, we are joined by Chelly Bufarash. She is a photojournalist and a based mom of three, three children. You yeah. have uh, two are grown, but yeah. Wow. Once, yeah. Props. Props. Um, and she is from Portland. She's been documenting the crazy Antifa-ness there. And we're just going to get into it. Chelly, thank you so much yeah. for making the time. For Thanks for joining us. Joining our, our little tiny podcast. Um, thank you for having me. Just give us a little bit, uh, give, give us, who are you? Tell us more about how you got into the photojournalism thing, how you, know, you started to see the rise of Antifa and about when that was and, and what really clued you in. Okay. Um, I've had a camera in hand since I was 10. And for my high school graduation, I got a 35 millimeter. So, and I'm 52, so you can do the calculations. So I've been taking pictures for a long time, but... I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, and um, when I moved back to my hometown out of Portland, I picked up a, a nice Sony, and that was maybe seven years ago, and I started taking pictures, and then I approached the local newspapers. One comes out once a week, one's weekly, and it's a editor-owned newspaper, which I thought was really cool, and I said, could I take pictures for you for free if you'll um, help me improve uh, on my skills and teach me about photojournalism and journalism. And he said, yes. So I started doing that in um, 2017 and about six months after I started. And I was going out probably every other day on assignments, you know, just like go take a picture of that car wreck. Um, oh, there's an event in downtown. There's an event at the veterans retirement home. Go take pictures, make notes, things like that. So um, I actually, and I won a few awards. There was a stabbing and I happened to be there and got pictures of that. And um, about six months in, there was <clears throat> a um, Republican parade that was supposed to occur, occur um, in May in uh, Portland near where I used to live. And it's been going on for 60 years at least. And Antifa made a threat and it was just after Trump had got elected and they had been rampaging through downtown Portland and they implied that they were gonna kill Republicans and that created an uproar. And I, I believe that the mayor canceled the parade. It's possible the Republicans decided not to go, but um, a bunch of patriots got together and did the parade anyway, which, of course, Antifa showed up and there was a man there that was not affiliated with anyone. And his name was Jeremy Christian. And that's very important. Um, he was wearing a 1776 flag and he was harassing both groups of people. And it was difficult to tell what his politics were. I was happened to be watching it on a live 
And um, the Patriots escorted him away nicely. Uh, Antifa harassed him. And in the end, he walked off with a group of Antifa, but I don't think he was with them. So fast forward a few weeks, and there's a man named Joy Gibson who has a group called Patriot Prayer. And he said they were going to have a Trump rally in downtown Portland in the Federal Plaza. And nobody made too much of it at that point, but about a week before this occurred, and I, I know this story is a little bit complicated, but it's very important. It is, it is, it literally sets the tone. It set the narrative. So this man that I mentioned that was with neither group, Jeremy Christian, he's known to the police. He's mentally ill. He'd been shot in the head. He'd gone to prison. Um, he, he is not a well human. And he was on a MAX train, which is our um, transportation system in Portland. And he started harassing three young black Muslim women and saying awful things to them. I, I, can't, I couldn't even tell you for sure what they were anymore, but he was going after them because they were Muslim and I think because they were black. And he'd actually done this to somebody on a bus a few days before, and I think she pepper sprayed him. The cops were called, but they didn't take him in. So he's harassing these women and two men stand up and try to stop him. And they're talking to him and a third man jumped in and he jumped up and he slashed all of their throats. Oh my two God. of the men died on the train. It was horrible. I mean, um, uh, a man who was in the, in the guard, uh, dad of two kids, and this young man from Reed College who was universally loved, kind of a hippie kind of guy. Um, I think he was in his early 20s. Uh, his last words were, I think, tell everyone I love them. He died on the train. And uh, a third man that was slashed in the throat was one of the Antifa that Jeremy Christian was harassed by at that parade. Um, and his name was Micah. Micah survived. And that event was seminal because the narrative that came out of that event was this new Trump event must be canceled because this man was associated with Patriot Prayer and Patriots and this group. So it was a racial, racially motivated killing, uh, even though all three men that had their throats slashed were white. Um, I don't know what happened on the train. I don't believe they've ever released any of the video of it. And of course, uh, Mr. Christian went back to prison. Uh, I have heard and can't, but can't verify, you know, he has a file this thick, um, just mental illness from a very young age. And so that particular incident set the entire narrative for the media about the Patriots out of Portland. And it's not a correct narrative, it's that man is mentally ill and not affiliated with anyone. Does, did that make sense? Like, I know that's kind of convoluted. It made perfect sense. So that's why there was such a huge uproar about the June 4th, 2017 Trump rally in downtown Portland. And that is the first one I decided to go to. I um, had a friend who 
was an editor at the Federalist. And I said, hey, I'm going to go to this. Would you like pictures if I get them? And I can tell you whatever I've seen down there. And she said, absolutely. So I had a friend who said he would go with me. And um, he happened to know Joey Gibson, a Patriot Prayer, and then Tiny Tusatala, who was Joey Gibson's sidekick and is a proud boy and has uh, been persecuted also for a lot of uh, his activities. Um, so he introduced me to them. But before I, when I went downtown, I went and I talked to as many Black Bloc Antifa people that would talk to me and I took pictures and they, these people were literally surrounded on three sides by people screaming at them. There was like the hippie Portland side across the street at, I think it's city hall. So normal, well, Portlanders, I wouldn't say they were normal, but you know, they're, you know, the rainbow coalition, um, the hippies, the old hippies, and just, you know, just like your average mom with her kids, there's this wall of people and they're all chanting Nazis go home to these Trump supporters. On the other side is the union people that have been called down by the SEIU and whatever union. And so they have all these kind of burly looking protesters shouting at the Trump people. And on the other side, there was no way to, to be surrounded on all four sides. On the other side was a park, Chapman Square, and that was filled with um, Black Bloc and Antifa. And um, they were screaming and threatening, throwing bloody tampons, bottles of urine, bags of excrement. Oh my um, and it was, uh, it was chaos. It was the one of the loudest things I've ever been to. And it, the air, it was like vibrating. It was so full of just this malicious energy. But once you walked into the little one block park, it, it was a federal park in downtown Portland, there were all these people waving flags, celebrating Trump, you know, just a real um, mishmash of different kinds of people there. So anyway, that's that set the stage. And I can tell you what happened to that, but I have no idea, you know, like what else you'd like to talk about from there. Keep going. Okay. All right. So I, I go into this and, you know, it was a little intimidating, but they didn't know who I was. I wore my black Dixie Chicks sweatshirt from um, a concert and black jeans. And I'm like, I'm going to blend with these other people who are scary. Um, and so I walk into this plaza and it's kind of surrounded by trees and bushes. So it, and it goes down into kind of a, a hole and there's a brick patio. So there's place to sit on these steps and it's like a natural little amphitheater. And they'd set up and there's flags, there's Trump flags, there's American flags, there's the Keck flag. I didn't know what that was at the time. Just this whole array, probably from a few alt-right people all the way to just, you know, your disaffected liberals who maybe have voted for Trump. And so I just talked to everybody and it was just, it, it was really, it was, it was fun. And you couldn't hear too much. I actually met my first Proud Boys there. I met Ethan Nordine, who is in prison right now for January 6th. And I won't mention the other names of the men that I met, but I they I asked who they were and they said who they were and told me about Proud Boys. And that was kind of piqued my interest in, in them. Um, they I asked what they were doing there and they said they wanted to make sure people were safe. And, you know, that I talked to 
Um, I think Baked Alaska was there. Uh, Tim Gione. Um, Joey Gibson was there. Tiny Tusitala. So they had speakers. Uh, I think they sang the national anthem. Uh, and then at some point, I walked up to look across the street towards Chapman Park, which was the opposing park. That's a city park. And it was full of Black Block uh, and Antifa. And... I am standing next to, I'm not going to name the publication, um, a photographer that worked for a publication in town. And I was just listening to him talk and he had a friend with him and they were using his long lens and I'd rented a, a nice lens too. So I was like checking out the crowd across the street while they were throwing bloody tampons and excrement. And he said, his friend said, somebody over there's got a Molotov cocktail. And I said, excuse me, what did you just say? Because I was close to, the, I thought I, I need to know if I need to move. And he said to his friend, you need to let the police know. And so they actually went over and told the police, which shocked me because of the publication they work for. I'm surprised. Um, so sure enough, the police decided to clear them from the park and as you can imagine, police force being used against Antifa, that was a real, um, that got real exciting really quick. So they asked them to leave. They wouldn't leave. They started to use, um, they used tear gas maybe or smoke bombs, something that made the air pretty painful. And they ran them out of the park and they decided to take over the street instead of just leave. So they organized for a march. I didn't, so they say flow like water often you hear them say that and they're very good at that if they hit an obstacle they just go around it and they do it in small groups all at once so it's just it's this amazing tactic that uh, it's like you think they must be coordinating this somehow and they are but not like one person with a mic telling everybody what to do they work within these small affinity groups and they just it just evolves as it goes. Um, so they take over the street. And at this point, um, you know, that's pretty dangerous. They had riot cops out and somebody gave the order to um, kettle them, to stop them from going. And they actually kettled over a hundred people. And I didn't know what that was, but I could tell I didn't want to go down into that block. I followed them um, to the parking building and my friend was with me and we're like, we better not go in there. So we went around to the back of the parking structure and went up several floors and then took pictures from above. And sure enough, they closed it off. They took everybody's ID and took photos of everybody. And that created a huge controversy um, within the local media. So that was stopped after that. There was never, I don't think, another kettle. Uh, so they couldn't, you know, every time the police tried something to control these unlawful marches or unlawful protests, the media would jump in with a narrative saying, you know, cruel, um, this is against the law, I don't know, whatever, any number of things to get the pressure on to stop. And what, so what year was that? Huh? That was, that was 2017. Okay. And there had been riots going on since Trump was elected, I believe, <coughs> in downtown. 
So. So Portland has just been kind of in a constant in and out of like a state of chaos since Trump came into office and that hasn't even gone away since he left. Absolutely. That's exactly what it's been. I think it started after he was elected in 2016. It picked up early 2017 and it's never stopped. And 2020 was yeah. off, awful. I think I went down like seven times in, and it was going on for six months. I was running a bakery, so I didn't have a lot of time to hang out all night Yeah, while they destroyed the city. So right. so maybe we can go into that a bit. Um, we can like fast forward to 2020 because I think that's when this problem started to become something that more people I think were aware of once it, you know, we saw Black Lives Matter and all of that. But clearly Antifa was a huge part of what was happening during that whole period. It wasn't just Black Lives Matter protesters. There was Black Bloc out there and these other groups, right, anarchists. And we just saw a huge spilling out of political discontent all tied into the George Floyd event were sparked by it, you could say. And I think that kind of brought into a mass consciousness that there, there's, that there is an issue with violence coming from the political left. And it's not that it's not coming from the right at all. It's that we're seeing, I think, more extreme tactics being used by the left right now. And it's almost like they're pushing. It's almost like they want to see retaliation. I'm trying to think about that. I So first off, I'm sure that there is some violence from the right, but I'm going to say it's, it's much more rare mm -hmm. and generally uh, in response to being physically attacked. Defensive. But I mean, what? It's defensive. Yes. And I think we're so, some especially, don't take this wrong, liberal people um, really don't like violence at all. I personally think Sometimes somebody needs to get punched in the face <laughs> if they're if if they're acting out and nothing else will stop them. Yeah. I'm not. I've never hit anybody, and I'm I'm not a fighter. But men are naturally, yeah, <laughs> men are naturally fighters, and sometimes people need to get punched. But I'm not saying that anybody should do that. Well, no, it, it depends very much on the context of the situation. But I agree with you. I mean, I'm definitely pro self-defense i think you know if you're being threatened bodily by someone you have a right to retaliate in, in a similar fashion right so um i think so, so there is violence on the right but i would say it's almost all and it's offensively coming from the left and then i think about the different groups i think you're right there's so many different groups that uh were taking part in this in Portland, and it's really I'll I'll just break up a, a, a microcosm like one night for you what it what it looked like. And I went down with a writer from Reason uh, Magazine, Nancy Rommelman. I love her. She lives in New York City too. You should definitely talk to her. Cool. Um, she was from Portland, and her business got canceled by the woke mob. Her well, or her husband's business, and it was their family business. They were coffee roasters called Ristretto Roasters. Okay. So you should read about that story, but um, she's always been a writer. And so uh, she had come back from, she'd moved to New York city. She'd come back and we went into downtown. And so the night starts out with your average Portland 
like mom and kids protesters. And it was a, it might've been a wall of moms night. I can't remember, but the wall of moms were these yellow shirt um, ladies that came down. They're wearing their masks and cause it's COVID. Which I hate the masks and yellow shirts and they come in and they're all like marching, you know, this close together, but I'm sure it's totally fine. They're not going to get COVID from that. You know, nobody got COVID from those riots. No one. No one. So um, they come in and and they march and it's like eight o'clock. It's just starting to get dark and they have speakers and they have the BLM uh, come in and march. And I'd say those, a lot of those people are just average Portland people. But as the night goes on, as you hit about 10 o'clock, you start seeing other people showing up. And I remember we had walked down a side street and Antifa takes um, motorbikes, motorcycles, uh, dirt bikes, and some bicycles, and they, they take over the streets in downtown. They just block them off and it's so organized. And I, they had started to do that. So I was taking some pictures and Nancy ran into a neighbor of hers and she was chatting with him, an, an old neighbor of hers. And this guy walks up and he's got an orange, it was supposed to be orange dad shirts. So he was showing up as a wall of dads. But I'm looking at this guy and he's got a, um, a helmet. And I think it was a hammer in his carpenter jeans uh-huh. and a gas mask. And I look at his face and I'm like, I swear I know that face. And I turned to her and I said, that guy is not, that's not a wallet dad's guy. That's, that's Antifa, you know, that's black block. And she's like, no. And I'm like, yes, yes. That's what he's down here to do. It's 10 o'clock. In fact, now it's almost 1030 and you just watch cause he'd walked off. And I thought, gosh, that guy seems like, he seems normal. He looks like just a, a professional. And so he went down and um, went away and we were talking about it. The next day he'd been arrested uh, and he was an attorney mm. and he'd been arrested for, I don't know, attacking the federal courthouse. I don't know if he attacked a police officer or if he just did something to the federal courthouse. And I, Nancy, oh my gosh, look at this guy. This is what I was telling you. And she was like, <laughs> That's him. I said, I told you he was down there as block. He wasn't, he was not just protesting. So they infiltrate in the regular people go home because it's bedtime. Nothing good happens after 11 PM. And that's when it really kicked off. All these people would show up, kit up. I literally have pictures of them putting on their mat, this girl with these gorgeous braids and very patrician looking cute black turtleneck, long sleeves um black cargo pants with all kinds of pockets the boots she's got on this like backpack that's attached in the front she gets her gas she's adjusting her braids goggles i was like she's got it going on i mean (laughs) this gal i mean she was she was so pretty and so put together and she was serious she was ready for war so they that's when they would start and i'll tell you um, at this point, the federal courthouse is glass, like huge glass windows, glass doors, and they've blockaded it. It's all plywood. And these people would walk up and you could hear them with their hammers breaking the plywood. And I don't, I can't remember what other tools they used, but you could just, and you could hear the plywood snap. 
I remember saying, ah, oh, crap. They got the plywood off. Now they're going to break the windows. And then the tear gas is going to start from inside the building. And that went on. And that's exactly what happened. Um, they tried to set it on fire. Um, and then the federal guards on the inside of the building, which they're tasked with protecting a federal building, would respond. And it would be tear gas. And that night, they'd gotten the people outside had gotten smart to that tactic and had brought um, uh, leaf blowers so they could blow the gas away and back towards the building. Wow. Um, to, to be clear here, though, none yes. of this is an insurrection, though. Just oh, no, not at all. This is very, it's peaceful. It's absolutely mostly peaceful. peaceful, sometimes fiery. A little, a little fiery, but mostly peaceful. It's, just, it's only a little bit of fire, so, and it's, you know, no you know, big I deal. to your interview with Drew Hernandez, and I thought it was very good. I liked that he called these people psychopaths. I liked that he defined them as terrorism, because this is terrorism. It it's is. a willingness to use violence to push a political agenda and to cow other people into uh, lining up with it, which is, you know, what they did. They tried to do that to Andy. No, they milkshaked him. They physically assaulted him multiple times. Yeah. Um, I think that one He's time. He's one of my best friends. I, cool. I love him. We would he love is, his work. Yeah. He's, he, he's uh, uh, someone we would love to talk to for sure. He's yeah. like just been at the forefront of this the whole time, you know, literally taking hits just to get the story yeah. out and getting such character assassination. And this is the other thing that I'd like to get into a little bit is that there's, you know, the objective reality on the ground of these people being violent, you know, political terrorists. And there's the media coverage that just apologizes for them, covers up the, the, the more brutal aspects of their behavior, and focuses on the Proud Boys or anybody who responds and makes a story about people, about them instead. You know, and this whole idea of the alt-right, I find just totally ludicrous. I mean, sure, there are some alt-right people out there, but they're not organized and taking over mm -hmm. cities and assaulting federal buildings and having the media apologize for them, having politicians, you know, yeah. urge them on. There was uh, that period I, I where... I hate the term, by the way, though, alt-right. Really I don't like it either. It's not... It, what is it? It's, well, it's a nonsense so term. To me, it's like, to the radical lefties, anyone that is, like, too much right of well, them... If you're right of now, you're alt-right. Yeah, but so that's a nonsense well, don't you, I'm right. alt-right. Didn't you know that? You didn't right. come across that in your research? <laughs> no, it's... Whatever that means. Whatever. That's the thing. It's like, a, it's a total nonsense term that they just use it as a character assassination the same way that they'll label people fascists and Nazis and the whole nine, you know. They just like to, to scream those epithets yeah. in order to paint you as non-human so then violence mm -hmm. against you is acceptable. What sucks too is it waters down those terms. Those terms start to lose their true meaning. And it's not like there aren't actual fascists out there. There are, of course. But when anyone who doesn't adhere to your ideology is now a fascist, that doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah, well, exactly. seen consistently with the left is they love to distort the language they lie by changing the definitions of words. Um, they do it purposefully and manipulatively in order to, you know, alter the perceptions of the naive. Well, not just that, to shut down dialogue is the big thing that they want to do. They don't even want us discussing the issues. You just, you're not even allowed to discuss it. That's why they're all about deplatforming because the way they see it, it's too 
even to even give a space to allow their enemies to talk is to support them in some way. So you have to just silence them completely and push them out of society. That's this is how they think. Well, it's like they've totally rejected the American idea of you know having a respectful dialogue. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's not like that. They have done that. They make fun of the idea of free speech. Uh, every day I see some Mufri's peach. I'm, I think that's what they're talking. I'm old, so yeah. I think that's what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I've they, seen it on Twitter. Right? They they want they want that stopped. And um, if you're an effective voice for the right, your life becomes a horror show. It it just it does. And um, I was talking with Andy after the court case. I was really emotional about that case. Um, so court got out and I drove across the, the Ross Island Bridge and I pulled over and I said, Andy, I'd like to talk to you. He's in, he's in London. So he's like, I'll call you. And I, I just, I said, I just need to talk about this. When I was in the courthouse, I was getting uh, tweets from this person. I would post something and they would post something like they were in the room with me. Um, Antifa, it, and it was clearly an Antifa account. I made some screenshots. I'd post a picture of the view. They'd post a picture of a nice view up here. Um, uh, I said something about, I can't hear, I a little bit hard of hearing and the sound wasn't very good in the court. So I would have to sit like this sometimes if somebody wasn't using their mic. And they mentioned that, that I was slightly hard of hearing and maybe I should get that checked. And there was only so many people in the courtroom. And I'm like, who? Who is this person who's clearly watching me so closely? Are they going to follow me to my car or, you know, so it's, and it's constant. Those kinds of things are constant. Um, I got sent a thing saying somebody said to go after my Venmo, which is how I get paid from my photography work. Not this, just my nice, pretty photography work. And it's, um, it's an, non-stop onslaught of gaslighting, hate that word, but it's gaslighting, character assassination. They create a person that's you that doesn't reflect your reality. They go after your family. They published my parents' names, my dad's business that he's retired from, that's family owned. They contacted my chamber of commerce where my best friend's the head of the chamber. So, you know, good luck with that. Um, they were publishing my bakery information just last week, and I don't even have that bakery anymore. Uh, they would probably have contacted my coffee supplier. You know, it's like, it's just, they go after every, they went, one of them is able to get into the legal database and she got into my court records with my divorce. There was abuse evolved in that. Um, and my child support records, they published how much I got for alimony and how long what the they fuck? published where my property is that I hadn't even moved to yet. What the fuck? The place that I live right now. They they let me know that they know where I live. They I'm like, they said the plot and, and where it is. That's why I don't mind saying where I live because they know where I live. Um. 
I mean, and, and I'm sure if I give me a little bit of time, they've said things for me that I wouldn't say, it's things about me that I wouldn't say <clears throat> publicly because it's so disgusting. Um, they went after my Facebook page of my uh, portrait business and called me a white supremacist in the reviews. Um, there was like 20 reviews uh, and I, you know, they were one star. She's a white supremacist. She's a Nazi. Don't go to her. She's unsafe, you know, and the people in my community don't know, you know, if this is true or not. I don't talk about my work in the local community except for my friends. So it's just this, they turn your life into an absolute shit show. And it's so hard to want to keep going. And if you talk about it, then they're going to make fun of it if they see it anywhere, you know, and then, and they just, it's, I, they're demons. Like yeah. what Drew Hernandez yeah. says, they're psychopaths. It's, and they're amoral. It's evil. It's, this is evil. It's evil. So, you, you know, treating anyone like this, no matter how much you disagree with them, it's, that's the only word I can think of. I, it's, um, and here's the thing, I, I don't care. I, I don't care anymore. They, every, I noticed everything I try to do, somebody would pop up on Twitter, if, don't Google my name. I mean, I look like I'm an absolute um, piece of crap human. And, and that is not even reflective of who I am. So I don't care. They made it so I don't care. And so I'm done, I'm gonna cover everything and anything that I wanna cover. Yeah. And, all of it. Well, That's why I went back. That's yeah. why I went back to the journalism. Is because it, I can't get a regular job, and they'll and they'll take that if they see that they'll put that out on Twitter. Look, we've you know we've made her unemployable. What they don't so, realize, what they don't realize though, is there's something to be said when like you have nothing else to lose. You know, when you push someone to a point, yeah. you know, where it's like Brent and I are similar. We're we're definitely all in this shit. Know, with the stuff that we've experienced over the last couple of years with the mandates and the lockdowns and just the, the backlash for criticizing similar things, right? anti BLM, just stuff we were seeing that we're just like, this is nuts, this behavior. The backlash we received from it, man, it's like once you get to a certain point, it's like you have to make a decision, like, do I keep doing this? Because it's mm -hmm. going to get harder. Yes. Or do I just stop and shut up and go quiet and live like a normal, peaceful like life <laughs> where you know you don't have to deal with any of this shit, you know? But if you don't do it, then who else is gonna do it? And then it's just the madness mm -hmm. will continue, the polarization will continue, the conversations yep. will stop, and then that's when the, the violence will escalate, it'll get worse, you know. Exactly. That's exactly what I think. Exactly. I don't, I'm I'm so sorry you went through all that though. I mean, it really it infuriates me. It makes me very angry just hearing you talk about it and seeing you know how it how it's affected you so deeply, you know, emotionally. And you know, I I haven't been through it to that level. You know, I've gotten like a couple, you know, a little bit of harassment and some threats, and I've definitely been called every name in the book and all of that. Brett and I had the feds show up at our door because we were at Jan Six. You know, we were in D.C. that oh. day. That's a whole thing right there and you know once that happens people look at you differently it doesn't even matter yeah. why we were there yes. we were there. we were there for the same reason you were at the event too we wanted to talk to people why are you here you know yeah. we had our own views of the election of course but ultimately it wasn't about that it was we were like this is going to be a historical thing it's going to be a big mm -hmm. thing something's going to happen we don't know so we should be there and bear witness right 
what happens everyone who goes is dragged to that trap right and then the media paints you all with this brush now you're all insurrectionists you have friends who stop talking to you family members who stop talking to you all this stuff and they they view you that way and even yeah. if they don't view you that way say they don't believe anything the media is saying they're afraid to come to your aid and stand up for you and defend you. Yes. They know that if they do, they, they don't want to get pulled in. They probably won't, but they don't want to even risk getting pulled into that, whatever it is, that political turmoil that you are now a part of. And it sucks, man. It's isolating. It's, it's, yeah. Get it, you know? That's exactly it. I told Andy, it's like, I, I have a disease yeah. now. You're like a leper. They treat yeah. us like lepers it's the same with yes. like the unjapped the people who don't have a jab you know people socially also me. yeah also us, us so socially how we were treated and segregated like that it's like they like we're lepers like we're infected yeah i have an, yep. my background feel I'm, I'm a nanny and tutor and that's what i did for years before covid and then covid happened and my work became very irregular and i've been looking for a new like full-time family and most of them want somebody who's had the jab and i just mm -hmm. won't lie about it i won't fake it and i we can't get it so they just gotta right? watch the show and i've just been trying <laughs> we've just been surviving on savings and credit and what comes oh. we can accumulate here and there yeah well i mean thankfully we were pretty good with our savings and Good. We made, we made some good investments too, okay. so we were able to kind of stay afloat. But yeah, I mean, it's just we went we went all in on this shit, like you, and it's it's a difficult thing to do, you know. You have to go all in. You can't. I went partially in. I dipped my toes in. I was. I've been. I'm, I think I've known Andy since 2017, and we went to things together, and then. I was like, oh yeah, this is, I have little, my kids were all at home then. I'm like, this is, this is risky. They went after my business that I was, had just started. And I thought, I can't do this. This is too much. It's painful, scary. And, um, but I continued to just do what I could on the side. And at some point I realized you have to do it or you have to, create a completely different life and i didn't know how i was going to do that yeah we're we're literally forging our own path right now because it's uncharted territory like we're just winging right? it we don't know what's going on you know but. Um, that's so, amazing i'm glad yeah. i mean i'm not glad for what you've been through but i'm i'm glad there are other people out there You're not willing the only to do one that. Yeah. it's it's actually yeah. a lot more common i think than we realize there's just not that many people with yeah. podcasts that are talking about it well we're Right. We're one another. I we think. are. We are. Yeah. We're finding each other on Twitter, online, and that's why the big ten. I love that. People want us I to love that. shut us down. They like to downrank, shadow ban, censor. Yeah. Um, but it, it's not working. Yeah. So they want us. Right? To think, they want us to think that we are the minority and there's less of us. But what I think is really happening here, and I've heard other people say this before, and I think it's probably the case: the radicals are the minority. And especially the ones on the left, I think they really are a minority. They're just a very loud minority. And yes. the, the ideology is now being uh, sponsored and supported by the government and the establishment, right? The mainstream pop culture world is basically on board with a lot of the things. Mm -hmm. And Antifa is on board, even though Antifa is against them too and would happily destroy all of them as well. And this oh, is yeah. what I don't think they get. <laughs> Another large component to this that I'm seeing is that a lot of these black black individuals are young people, yeah. teenagers, 20 somethings, 
And it's natural for people in that age group to feel rebellious. And it seems like that that urge is being hijacked and, and sort of co-opted. And, you know, it's, it's a shame because there are a lot of, you know, there, it's normal to be rebellious, but when those urges get hijacked and, and you get used in the way a lot of these kids are being used, it, it, it's dangerous. And we've seen it, you know, with previous revolutions in the past. And, I, and that's why I really wanted to talk to you is because there is a danger here that this perspective can, you know, grow. They, it, it, we're seeing a lot of counterculture towards it now. Um, and we just want to add fuel to that fire because, you know, these people will use terrorism, they'll use violence, they'll use your children. Um, and it's really important that, you know, more and more people need to know what's going on so that they can, you know, have that moment of awareness and just join the side of reason and rationality and, and nonviolence. Well, also to stick up for one another. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Like, if we stick up for one another, like, but they have to know. They can't cancel they us. Have to be, yeah. They have to have that awareness. Well, this is the thing. Like, we talked about this on our last episode about the Macy Gray incident. And it's like, you know, did Macy even realize that if she would have just held on to her position, she actually would have been fine. She would have found an entire yeah. demographic of people who would have been perfectly willing to support her, to buy her album, to go to her shows, all that stuff. Did she know that? Probably not. You know, they bring her back stage and, and they sit her down and you know her PR team and they're just like this is what you got to do or you're over your career is done for and when you're you know when you're undergoing that amount of pressure and coercion I can see why a lot of people do cave but they got to stop man and we need yeah. to be aware that if, if they do stand up they will have support people will get behind them that they're not bigots they're not racists they're not transphobes they're not you can ask questions and we should be able to have an open dialogue about what's happening right now in the country Fuck the deplatforming and anyone who's going to push that, whether it's right or left, that's authoritarian and we oppose that. I mean, that's that's our position ultimately on our show is that we're just anti-authoritarians. We don't really care where it comes from. If we see it manifest from the right, we'll call it out there. Mm -hmm. And right now we're seeing a huge amount of it manifesting from the left. So we're calling it out there. And if the pen pendulum ever swings the other way, we'll be there too, you know? And you should. We Freedom. Yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah. We, we should we spoke, be able to live our lives. We, uh, we were speaking actually with George Alexopoulos recently about this very subject, you know, because in his comics, people typically say, oh, well, why do you never criticize the conservatives or go for the right? And he's like, well, there's not a lot right now for me to criticize from that side. But right. he's like, look, you know, if, and he told us this, you know, if the pendulum does ever swing the other way and shit starts getting crazy from the right side, he will happily satirize them as well. And we need that, you know, we need people who are going to be yeah. fair in our analysis of things. So I thought we would talk a little bit about um, this, this video and oh, Mackenzie Lewis. No, this is, so Mackenzie Lewis was the one guy who got convicted of, of felony rioting and yes. awaiting sentencing, correct? Yes, that I think is- 32 first. years old, young dude, father, married. Um, and what they yeah. looks like, what they they're basing his conviction on is this 16 second video. I have it right here, um, and I thought we could just go through it. Yeah. Do, 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 um, and I'll just play for everybody, and then we'll talk about it. And for reference, Mackenzie is this dude right here with the helmet. And now watch also this masked person right here because uh, 
there's spitting involved, which is what Mackenzie responds to. It's like, get back, back, back. Oh yeah, this one. And then she starts yeah. spitting in their faces. And then smacks the phone, and then he just pushes her. And that's it. <laughs> so just that one, that one shove, that's what they're getting him for. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that that's like, and you know, it's it's really nothing. Like it, on the street, in terms of what street violence is, we can. I'll just play it again with no volume. Yeah. This is tame compared to like. Um, and interestingly, worth mentioning, this individual here is trans. Uh, I believe yes. male. To male. And one thing that we've noticed is that the the male to female, the anti-androgens can make people psychotic. So Thank you. If if yes. if this person is under the age of 30, they'll they'll be on anti-androgens, which will make them more psychotic, more violent, um, and more unstable. And that is a big thing in the trans debate that's not coming out. And you know, why when we see a lot of these these trans people ending up in Antifa groups and willing to engage in violence, one has to wonder how much of that is the drugs that they're on. That's a good it's a very good point. Well, these are very powerful substances and we we you know, we don't really understand the full impact of what they do. And but yeah. we do know that the anti-androgens cause psychosis and cross-sex hormones can cause all kinds of you know emotional instability yeah and if anyone's interested more in that check out our last episode with richie or who's tulip goes by tulip r on twitter um and we talked about richie's d-trans experience male to female mm -hmm. back to again so he kind of goes a bit into that stuff too the hormones and what that's like what it does to the body and the anti uh what is it anti-androgens anti-androgens yeah those are basically the, the puberty blocking yeah, yeah. chemicals. That's uh, a good point though. I see, I, I didn't even really totally think about it like that, but now that I do think about it like that, <laughs> how much of this erratic behavior does have to be Oh, and that? this person wasn't charged, correct? Some spitting. Oh, no. Um, this person has been identified. The name is Carrie, 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 Canary. Oh, um, <laughs> her name before was, uh, oh gosh. I'm going to say she sang under the name Davy Sparrow, but it was David something, but very caring and was married to a woman. And then I'm not sure when the transition occurred, um, but uh, has definitely was very active in protests and so identified, never arrested, never yeah. even spoken to. We knew where they worked too. So, and so, spitting like no that is, that's assault. Spitting like that is technically assault. Felony assault. So, I mean, that that would be technically the first blow was thrown. Yes. From this person from spitting. Like, right. Yeah. I yeah. haven't seen um, anyone prosecuted on the left for spitting. That's a really common thing for them to do. So, um, I, I, and nobody could ask in court anything about this person, you know, you can't say, well, they were spitting on him. And actually before um, the mask came down, uh, Carrie was chest, you know, um, what do they call it? Body checking Joey and body checking uh, Mac. Like, and I've noticed that, that um, that's something that's really common. So they'll get right in your space and they'll bump also, up against you. Also assault. Also technically yeah. assault. And I've been through that. Yeah, that's not, I, don't know that they've ever prosecuted anybody for that at these protests. And um, so 
Uh, Mac kept telling her, this is what he said. He couldn't testify. He said, you need to get back. You need to get back. You need to get back. And she wouldn't. And so he reached out and grabbed the end of her mask. This is pre-COVID, you know, so it was, it was a big deal to wear a mask, pulled it down. And that's when uh, she started spitting. And then she took that swipe at Joey and Mac said, I stepped in and I pushed her back. And that is uh, the main thing that they said that was the cause of that riot. That's so, BS. Yeah, it is. 100%. It's, it's insane to watch this happen in real time and then watch his attorney fall asleep and snore at the table and say that his own attorney in the clothes said he hit her. Wow. And they're like, no, he didn't hit her. Like, it was just, it was horrible. I swear they gave him the wet, the worst public defender they could find. Well, not even bad. It just sounds like he was co-opted. Like, he was trying to work against his client, which is a total violation of, you know, lawyer ethics. Like, I, I don't know what's going on there. I suspect there is a um, neurological issue. Uh, with the attorney and he should maybe consider retirement, but um, Mac has already tried to set up to give send goes and both were taken down. Both, yeah. The give, so. send, give send go is supposed to be like the Christian alternative. Yeah. Go fund. I, I don't know what's going on. I try, I asked them if they could try and find out what's happening. So, cause yeah. I'd like to share it. It'd be, I mean, it's, it's a story, you know, they, they should really give comment uh, and explain why they're not allowing it to go through. Um, there's, because, and this is the other thing about the, the left is that, you know, they can raise countless millions, hundreds of millions uh, easily. Oh, yeah. And they can bail people out. They can get lawyers. They have all the funds organized. So what we saw in 2020, we saw a lot of that taking place. Kamala Harris herself was organizing oh. bailout funds for, for rioters. Yeah. And, and it's just so too, it's so, there's such a double standard that it, it really kind of blows my mind. I can't yeah. get over it. Well, yeah, the double standard is quite, quite obvious and just how the media covers it. I mean, look at how they, look at how they handled Jan 6. Like you get one rowdy event from the right and you never hear the end of it. It's just in every headline. Well, was that even from the right? Like we did a live stream yeah. on John Sullivan. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Mr. John Sullivan. Um, is that um, the guy that was affiliated with Antifa? I don't uh, sort of. He's so affiliated with he, multiple. Groups. He's a provocateur, a uh, professional provocateur. Uh, okay. And he got first. He he started in Provo, Utah, which I think is where he's from. And the, his very first event that he organized was a counter protest to a, um, a right Republican Trump thing. Somebody got shot. And then he went on the road and went up to Portland and started to uh, try to organize there. Very quickly, um, they, the, the local community, BLM and activists, found that he was encouraging riotous behavior so that he could film it and then upload it uh, under uh, another account. I think it was like something like Watch Riot, Riot Porn. Um, oh my gosh! He got kind of outed, um, and so they. And he was also trying to lead people into places, like pull people off of the main protest, so that he could sort of recruit them into his little side thing. Um, wow. So they, they eventually disavowed him, and then he ended up in the front of the lines, January sixth, yeah. down in DC, yeah, where he got, got notified in advance 
that there was going to be a storming of the Capitol. From whom? We don't know. We don't know. Um, but this was reported by Jade Sacker, yeah. who was a documentarian who was following him around, doing a, allegedly doing a documentary on him and his brother, who, uh, James, who is also another sort of uh, right-wing activist in Utah who's yeah. been associated with the Proud Boys. And they, you know, they had a long footage that they put out. Well, not the whole thing. The whole thing was put out a little later. But, you know, in the footage, you see John encouraging the Trump supporters to burn this down. Well, um, and then, you know. <laughs> so we, we suspect John is somehow associated with an intelligence operation or a psyop. Um, yes. He's been, you know, he was at the front of the lines. He's got all the stuff, you know, most Jan 6 defendants are in, you know, jail still uh, under horrible conditions. Yeah, we all- he was on CNN that very night talking to Anderson Cooper. Yes, he was. Sharing clips of his video. Yeah, well, he was that, able to sell his video for like $90,000. Well, this is another thing you forgot to mention. His footage, their footage of the Ashley Babbitt shooting, that's the best footage that, that's out there. That is the footage that was oh. in the media. That was John Sullivan and uh, what was the girl's name? Jade Sacker. That was them. <laughs> so they were right there, right there for that to happen. And before all of that, if you watch the whole footage, they were trying to provoke something. And that's what it comes down to is it seems like they were there with the purpose of trying to get something to happen, anything, anything, uh, you know, violent or destructive. So they could film it. So they could film it and that and that CNN and these other media organizations will have that footage. They can sell it. And then they spun the whole thing into, you know, riot at the Capitol results right. in three dead, et cetera, et cetera. Let, you know, for, mean, for totally ignoring the fact yeah. that, you know, like two of the deaths were, were medical, like, and one was a heart attack and I think one was a diabetes yeah. thing. Um, it had nothing to do with violence. And John yeah. is... And not John is not in jail. He was he was arrested, released, oh. arrested, released. I've been trying to follow his legal situation, and it's kind of hard to keep track. There's been uh, it's an ongoing it's thing. Very interesting. Very right? suspicious. Right? Like three. Very suspicious. So, like, in, if you there's one website that's sort of tracking like all of the legal briefs that are published in, in, in his case. There have been like 73 different things, motions back and forth. And I don't. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know if that's normal. Um, but it's also very drawn out. And you know, he's he's out. And one has to wonder if it has to do with his military background or his father's military background. His father was a retired, uh, I believe, lieutenant colonel uh, in the U.S. Hmm. Army. It's, it's just so, yeah. it's such oh, a you, deep rabbit hole. You didn't even tell her about his brother. I mentioned I mentioned James yeah. being the, he, he's sort of like the, the, the right man, John, is more active in Proud Boys and has his own, like, black conservative organization. That's such a, there's a lot of, that's a lot of information that does not compute unless it goes just one direction. Like, how, how are you not in jail? That's the big question there. It's like well, all the people for just like minor little trespassing. You were on camera encouraging violence, and you were there present. He right also had a weapon. He had a he had a knife in his bag. Uh, yeah. What? Yeah, it's that's crazy, one of the, yeah. one of one of the eight I think charges against him is uh, like yeah. having a, a deadly weapon or in, while being. And you're saying he's yeah. not currently in jail. No. In jail. Yeah. So he's again, Ethan Nordine. Videos actually still posting videos. Who had nothing on him. Walked into the building because he was looking for his friends. Turn around and walk back out, and he's facing a charge of seditious yep. conspiracy. Yes. Yep. That is our country right now. Yep. And you have to ask, like, who is John really working for? Is he a lone wolf? Because I, hmm. 
I no. can't believe that if you're not locked no, up it just, right once, now. Once you kind of like jug, grapple with all this, it just becomes very clear that there is a, a, a level of organization above it all, you know, from the way the media is portraying things, from the way that Antifa is able to get away with things, especially. Yeah. But there, and there's, there's this weird, like, sort of like, camouflage being thrown about the whole thing so that normal everyday people who you know don't really have the time to dig into it who can't go to the events who can't talk to people you know they've got you know their two kids their job you know the kids schooling yeah. they've, they've got enough yeah. on their plate who has time to it, unravel all this they make it very him. hard for you to get to the truth to mm -hmm. see this and to understand that it is organized that they are trying to do something to destabilize the country and it's you know, working it's it's well it's working but also like thankfully more and more people are pushing back against it um, do you just want to go uh how did uh so mackenzie and joey they they were arrested for uh that was like from that patriots uh prayer rally in 2017 2018 uh it was may day of 2018 so that that, that case has been on for like four years now yeah Wow, that's right. That's a so long crazy. time. It's, a, a, a it's crazy. They've been like hanging that sort of Damocles over their head this entire time. And it's not officially tied into an, a million dollar lawsuit from the failed Cider Riot pub, but it is, you know, the owner of the pub filed a million dollar lawsuit against Mac and Joey and Russell. So, um, interesting. I, and that was filed, I believe by, I think his name is Juan Chavez, last name is Chavez. I'd have to, I should know that, I'm sorry. Um, and he is basically an Antifa attorney. Um, he has his own law firm and they, and they. Um, I would call that a slap lawsuit. I'm not an attorney, but it sure seems like it's, it was intended to stop Joey from doing protests or flag waves or whatever, you know, harassing people into stopping through the threat of owing somebody a lot of money. Um, and he also, that attorney also helped to write a statute that basically in the end removed, um, it quit Andy from being able to post uh, Antifa mugshots. Oh, interesting. I remember Andy so, doing yeah yeah he would do that and then the same attorney i i listened to the testimony he wrote the legislation you know because they usually have to have an attorney write it and um and talked to the committee when they were discussing it it's an anti-stalking and then another part of it was not publishing mug shots not being able to publish mugshots unless somebody's convicted of a crime. So Andy was putting out all these mugshots and they were uh, with the information and they were saying it was doxing. It's not doxing, um, but they wanted that stopped. So it got stopped through the legislature. It was really effective too, because yeah. you saw those mugshots. You really <laughs> get to see the people without yeah. the masks. Oh yeah. Right. And, and you can tell there there's a lot of drug yeah. abuse. There's mm -hmm. a lot of mental illness. Let's just put it this way. Society's rejects. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. A lot, a of, lot young of people, too. A lot of young people that get caught up. Yeah. Well, there's a lot yeah. of dis disenfranchised feeling youth out there. And so earlier you mentioned rebellion. I kind of want to riff off that a little bit, but not just rebellion. What gets used is often 
it's not the angst of the youth. It's more when you're young and naive, you want to like improve the world. And I think most people on the left are like that. And we start off that way. We have this kind of like wishy-washy. I want to like heal the planet and make the world better. And I think that's natural when you're young. It is normal for young people to want to change the world. And the problem is we get it backwards. We don't realize that we're actually supposed to change ourselves first. And you start in like your immediate situation and environment and then from there it reverberates into the world we get it backwards we want to rush into changing everything else when we can't even pick the damn clothes off of our floor and you got like multiple studs in your fucking face and like tattoos <laughs> everywhere and shit and you can't even land a job so it's like this is what we're facing you know we're facing a lot of lost disenfranchised people disenfranchised youth i think a lot of them start off meaning well and they want to improve things and they feel life isn't fair for them for other people and it starts off that way and then then i think what it turns into is like a sense of vengeance and jordan peterson talks about this often in his early experiences of socialism because when he was young he was very into that and he said he started to realize that he found that most of the people involved in it, it wasn't so much that they had compassion for the poor so much as they had disdain for the rich. And those are very two different motivations behind a political movement. You know, it's one thing to be compassionate for the downtrodden and wanting to help them and improve their lot in life and situation. That's a different motivation than fuck the rich, you know, they're, they're the source of all of our problems. And if we just, you know, burn the whole system down and start from the beginning, then things will be better. They don't realize what that leads to, man. It opens a pit. And then the ones who do realize what that leads to, those are the most dangerous ones because they know exactly what they're doing. A hundred percent. Yeah. I've met a few of those people. Yes. They're frightened. <laughs> I'm sure you they're have. Frightened. They don't, yeah. they're, they're ruthless. Yeah. And most of the people I would call it's not very nice useful idiots um there and they do have that motivation that you're talking about where they want to make a change they they think this is wrong and they think this is the way to do it rather than taking care of their home and their neighbors and their community they're gonna we're gonna fix everything um i saw that at the uh when they were attacking the church and the image resource or the image um pregnancy resource office and i'm like this is not helping yeah. women in situations i view it as like kind of it's almost like a like a hangover from the 60s and 70s like a drunken hangover from that era and a lot of those professors ended up you know a lot of those people ended up as professors later and yeah. i know i was taught by some of them in college myself and i learned a lot about that era and i think it kind of created a sort of nostalgia amongst the youth and i think because we're so pampered as a generation that they want something to fight for. They want to feel like they're part of something like, and I think a lot of them are getting pulled into this thinking they're part of like the next like civil rights movement or some shit. Like they're part of, they're on the right side of history, you know? And I, I don't think they're realizing that we're getting played, you know, and things definitely aren't the way they were in the sixties and seventies. You know, if you're walking around truly thinking that say, for example, as a black man, that things are, just as bad for you now in this country as they were back then yeah that's, i think that's kind of sad i mean i'm not saying that you don't face racism or any kind of um adversity in your life because of your skin color i'm sure you do encounter that in certain instances but to walk around thinking that no progress has been made at all that we haven't improved as a country at all and that things are just as bad and the whole root of all of this is just simply evil and unredeemable and we need to just get rid of it that's sad, you know, and I kind—I almost feel a little pity 
for these people. <laughs> it's like, man, like you must be miserable all the fucking time. <laughs> uh, yes, I would say that that's what strikes me about these people. There is no, there's no joyful warriors in this movement. They're miserable, wretched, unhappy people. So sad. It's it, it's not fun being around like surrounded by that all the time. So it's that vengeance energy, man. I'm telling you, it's like yeah, all the criticism you can lay on the rich and the billionaires. Sure, it's valid, but if your motivation is that vengeance to just buck the system in that way, to just just for the the sake of you know getting back at everyone you feel wronged you. That's well, that's not compassion. What creates that though is abuse. This yeah. is this is one of the things that I like to highlight is that we probably have an epidemic of child abuse in this country yes. and just child neglect. And that's what's creating the mental illness problem. It's like mental illness just doesn't like arrive. Like there are causative factors. Generally, that's you know something terrible that happens in youth. Um, and that can damage a child for their entire life and turn them into a person like that Chester guy that you mentioned that had a file that was that thick. Like, who knows what happened to him when he was a kid? Um, oh, uh, they, they know. He, he, he definitely experienced um, neglect and abuse. I, yeah, I believe it. And that, that's the recipe for psychopathy or sociopathy. Uh, where psychopaths are born, sociopaths are made. But effectively, they end up the same thing. Violent, dangerous, manipulative, mm -hmm. narcissists. Then they go to prison and it gets worse. Yeah. And they get out. Yeah. yeah. And they, you know, they, they just rotate in and out of the system. And Portland is, is, in my opinion, basically lawless at this point. So you're going to see more of that. So that was, uh, I think we can, well, why don't we wrap it up with where do you think this is going to go, Shelly? Do you think that... We're going to see it get worse. Is it going to get better? Um, and especially as we uh, continue towards the end of the year and into, like, I guess the the, the midterm elections. I don't feel like so. I'm on the less hopeful side. Um, I know that there are a lot of people that um, want to think it's going to get better. I am on the side that I'm a doomer. I, it's, I think it's going to get worse. Black pill or black pill. <laughs> I don't, you know, and I want to be white pilled, but I'm definitely black pilled because I don't see the system being set up in a way that's going to do anything to change what's going on in Portland. And it bleeds out into everything yeah. because the media picks up the narrative. The media runs with the narrative locally. The national media then runs with that narrative and it just reinforces this um leftist it's not even leftist uh, communist bubble that is portland and all these different mind viruses that they have going on um the fact that the jury could convict this guy based on what you just saw yeah unanimously um i i have no hope and the mayor of portland is in charge of the police that's the way it's set up. They're not separate. So if the police aren't, I mean, they've been halfway infiltrated at this point by all of this social, uh, woke and social justice stuff. Um, and they eliminated their gun, uh, gun, uh, I'm trying to think, gun crime department. They took that away a few years ago. And you can see that I think the murder rate is up 200%, 204%. I mean, it's it's dangerous there. Not just what's going on with Antifa, but 
there is gang warfare all over. I wouldn't live in the neighborhood that I used to live in, that I would take my kids out at midnight and walk around when they were little, you know, if they couldn't sleep or something. I, it was a safe place. It's not a safe place anymore. I left because I'd gotten robbed twice. That's so, um, and that was in 2014. It was going down then. And I'm, I'm going to start a, a series called Portland Looks Like Shit. Um, where I have a friend who has that hashtag and she covers that and go up there with her and just um, show everybody what Portland actually looks like. It is Gotham light. It's not going to get better until these people can vote these uh, leaders out and vote people in who will do something. And the average citizen is a victim of this mind virus. So I don't see that happening. I think it's going to be an absolute shithole for a very long time. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with you. <laughs> I, I think we do lean toward that position as well. At least in Portland. And I don't even of that, like you said, the mayor controls the police yeah. and it's deeply entrenched. Yeah. I don't view it as black pilled either. I view it as just kind of being realistic. realistic. And, you know, typically. Realistic. Yeah. Typically, the, these sorts of situations historically will escalate. Um, before they resolve themselves and who knows what that's going to look like you know i know some people think we're heading towards civil war <laughs> i i personally don't, I don't know think it is that but you never know you know it's like the abortion issue all types of things are, are very much dividing the country right now so it's it's a really crazy time to be an american that's for sure it was like, may, you, may you live in interesting times. It's like the ancient Chinese like yeah. curse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I just live in boring times. Right. Uh, in we, the eighties. In the nineties. Eighties and nineties were great. Yeah. They were <laughs> amazing. So wholesome. It was wholesome, man. Um, where can where can people find you? Right now, um, I'm just on Twitter, Honey Badger Mom. Um, oh, yeah. I and, love that. Uh, by the way. Thank you. I'm trying to live up to that name. All right, I will put a link in so the description. So I assume you're a fan of Gad Sad. I love him. Yes, he's amazing. I heard you reference he the man. Book, the mind virus. You know, yeah, we've read his I've read his book, The Parasitic Um Parasitic Mind. It was very good. You know, I think he really he really breaks down the phenomenon of the woke and Mm-hmm. Uh, an easy to understand way. So anyone listening, we highly recommend Gad Sad's book. We'd also love to talk to him, man. He's so fucking funny on Twitter. <laughs> He's amazing on Twitter. I love his Twitter. So yeah. Great sense of humor. That He's guy. He's got a great sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that's the other thing is that people, one thing I don't think we really realize as a society and like a global culture is that ideas can be pathological and, and infectious in the same way that a virus or mm-hmm. a bacteria or a fungi can. And and just in the same way that your your body can be susceptible if you're not taking vitamin D and vitamin C and you know getting good sleep, your mind can be susceptible if you know you've been traumatized or if you're not getting you know exposure to good information and good ideas. Work your brain out, think, read some books, get off the computer once in a while, seriously, and go touch touch grass. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> all right well i'm gonna stop the recording here thank you again yeah. shelly for making the time we don't forget it. to like comment subscribe share the show with your friends uh and make a financial contribution if you would like to and can thank you again so much everyone for listening see ya bye bye